2: Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, I'm Simon Hughes and I'm at the home of cricket today where my old team, the champions, Middlesex have been taking on Essex in the county championship but it's all changed after this round of four day games. Red ball is replaced by white ball and the county game is in one day mode for the next month in a significant change this season from the last few years. It's the same game, cricket of course, but Have they ever been played in such radically different ways? We're going to ask that
0: question. Well, the group stage of the Royal London Cup starts on Thursday in this carefully planned out season where players don't have to chop and change between formats. We'll hear from the coaches in charge of the defending one-day champions although they didn't actually guide them to their victory last season. The Royal London One-Day Cup 27th of April to the 17th of May. The championship
2: doesn't start again until the 19th of May. That's bad luck for teams like Durham, of course, who started off with a 48-point deficit and are struggling to make it up. Anyway, please leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe to the Analyst Inside Cricket so you'll get the programme automatically each week. Just click on the button where it says subscribe. And we'll be releasing a podcast every Monday night throughout the summer. So
0: we've had the first chunk of Championship Cricket this season we'll talk about the Royal London Cup in just a moment what that means for the for the players and how the, the two games are really diverging now I know that sounds quite obvious you know they' are different formats four day one day, but whether the the skills and the approach have ever been so different uh, we'll discuss that uh, feature of the championship so far uh, I picked out uh, Liam Livingston as a you know really interesting cricketer who's a non England player but so far. So far, yeah. But he had a good winter and 236 runs in the game against Somerset at Old Travis showing that actually some of those one-day skills can be used in the four-day game really effectively as well, especially in that first innings, where he's playing all sorts of remarkable shots. Admittedly, he was in that position where he was batting with the tail, so he had to produce something a bit different. But it's all almost I don't know,
2: Warner-esque, isn't it? Yeah, it is. David Warner coming through from... T20 and never having played even a first class match before he was picked by Australia for their T20 competition a while back and now of course very much a a top class test player as well as a one day player. Livingston is clearly a modern cricketer uh, in, in the sense that he's based his game a lot on power. He's a big guy and he hits the ball a long way, and he's obviously had to try and you know evolve and adapt his game to play in the four-day version. He's, he's putting Cumbria on the map too, in the same way as Ben Stokes did. Ben Stokes, of course, from Cockermouth up uh, just close to the Lake District, and Livingston from Barrow in Furness. I met him actually briefly when I spoke at a dinner down there about two or three years ago. It was a real kind of raw. Uh, back-to-basics, kind of grassroots kind of environment there. We had pie and peas for their, for their cricket dinner, annual dinner, and it was all people in sort of T-shirts and no sort of smart dress or anything. But there's obviously a, a real passion down in that part of the world as well, and they're starting to produce some exciting cricketers.
0: Do you think we'll see this more and more in the future, that, that aggressive, exciting, innovative batsmen, in the short-form game, in the white ball game, will take those skills into, into four-day cricket more and more. And actually, if you just learn a defence, you, you, you might find that, that four-day and, and five-day cricket, if it stays at, at five-day cricket, test cricket, will move, in, in a strange way, a bit more towards one-day cricket. There'll be people playing all sorts of shots all day. Or do you, do you think that it'll still be that, oh, I'm just going to wait for the ball to come to me and, and, and play every
2: ball on its merit? Well, it's, it's a very good question. And uh, I think you know that there is more and more... ...a difference in mindset between the two formats of the game. It's not just about the physical skills, the being able to hit sixes... ...and being able to play the ramp shot and the reverse sweep and so on. It's also about how you approach the game and how you practice as well. If you think about it, more and more, test cricket is a game of attrition of playing the ball on its merits, of technical excellence and also mental resolve as well. And I think that's why perhaps a lot of batsmen in Test cricket really peak in their late 20s because they've been able to understand the mental requirements as well as the physical and the technical requirements of playing a long innings, especially as a batsman. And obviously someone like Alistair Cook, we've just seen him batting today, You know, sticking to his game plan. It's, it, it's, it's probably in four-day and five-day cricket, it takes a while, takes probably seven, eight years, for you to really learn your game and understand the tempo of it and how to change the tempo, what are your best shots, how to make the bowler bowl to your strengths. I, for instance, leaving it a lot outside off stump so that you get the ball on your pads eventually when the bowler gets bored. But in one-day cricket, it's more about instinct and imagination and flair and you know, taking the moment in a way, and and I think the intrinsic, the the essential difference between batting in one day cricket and batting in Test cricket is that, in Test cricket uh, or four day cricket, you wait for the ball to come and play an appropriate shot, in one day cricket you'd almost decide on the shot before the ball's even come down especially after the first few overs and that's a that's a big change as far as you're concerned is it, it, yeah. is it
0: innovation in, in one day cricket that, that's happened fairly recently or I mean, other teams other teams were doing this a while back i think in the 90s in you know, sri lanka and new zealand in the, in the 92 world cup but now it's everyone's doing it
2: yeah and i think it, it's been brought about by uh, you know the increasing range of shots i think one of the the, the sort of defining moments for me in one day cricket was 2008, um, Brendan McCullum, first ever IPL game, which I was at actually in Bangalore, and he smashed 158 not out. He was running up the wicket in the first over of the game to people like Zahir Khan and belting it over deep mid wicket. He scored a lot of his runs off top edges and slices, and but some also some incredibly legitimate shots, and that 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 immediately set the benchmark for batsmen to try new things, and and of course with. 50-over cricket as well, there is a period in the game where there's only four boundary fields allowed. That's between the 10th and the 40th over. You're only allowed four men on the boundary, which allows two areas of the field which are not protected at all. And batsmen almost eye up those two areas and say, right, now it almost doesn't matter where the ball is, where it's bowled. I'm going to get the ball in that spot. And that's completely different from old-fashioned cricket where... When I say old-fashioned cricket, you know, sort of 10, 15, 20 do, years do ago. Do you mean old-fashioned one-day cricket? Well, yeah, I do. I mean old-fashioned one-day cricket where, you know, predominantly the batsmen waited to see the ball and then whacked it kind of in, hopefully, in in the gap between the fielders. But now they, they almost pick on the gap first before they see the ball come down. Obviously, there have been examples. And one one famous one was right here at Lord's where the batsman decides what shot he's going to play before the balls come down. That was Viv Richards in that incredible World Cup final in 1979, where several times he backed away outside leg and whopped the ball over the extra cover region, or, of course, famously, off the last ball of the innings, a, an off-stump full toss, which he'd gone right outside the off-stump to, to help over deep square leg. The kind of shot you see someone like A.B. de Villiers, Joss Butler play all the time now. Uh, So, you know, nothing's original in a way. But I just think the mindset of how they play now and the way they practise is totally different from what it had been in the past. So you had your innovators, but now
0: everybody's doing it. Everybody is practising to premeditate, basically. Yeah, exactly.
2: And you'll see in the nets, for instance, they'll set the bowling machine to, let's say, 82 miles an hour outside off. And first, a batsman will say, right... I'm going to try and hit that ball in five different places. So I'm going to hit it over long off, over deep extra cover, over long on. Then I'm going to go outside the off stump and ramp it over deep square leg and pick it up over fine leg or something like that. So you've got five shots for the same ball. And then they'll get the coach to mix up the balls with the bowling machine. So five different deliveries and they've got to hit them all in the same spot because there is a gap at deep mid imaginary, or a gap at deep square leg, and they've got to get the ball from outside off stump or down the leg side, they've got to be able to decide on the shot and then play it, even though the ball isn't what they're expecting. So they're practising the premeditation, both from balls that they're expecting and balls they're not expecting. How how long have they been doing this for? How long have teams been doing this for? Um, Probably three or four years now, I think. You know, where they, they, they... in th- the, the, the practice for one day cricket is much more specific now because it enables you to really perfect those very difficult skills. And in the past, the problem with the English season has been that they've jumped between yeah. four day and one day too often. And it, it sort of it reminds me of those days when we used to, you know, play a Benson Hedges game on a Tuesday, a championship game. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then a Sunday league game on the Sunday. Sometimes a Sunday league game even between the Saturday and the Monday, Tuesday for a three-day championship game. And, you know, it just played havoc with, even then, even though the, the formats of the game weren't that different... Just having to think, well, I'm only going to bowl four-over spell on a Sunday. I've got to bowl off a 15-yard run, so I've got to fit my 20-yard run into 15 yards space, and I've got to practice Yorkers because Yorkers... Did you practice be only- bowling off, uh, if, uh, yeah, off, yeah. off the short run? How, yeah. how much time well, no, did they get to practice? You know, they're, they're, I mean, so we had restricted run on a Sunday because you had to get the overs in in the time yeah. allowed, for two and, a, two and hours 15, so we had to get those 40 overs in. So what they did, actually, was in the nets... For Just for Sunday League, they painted a line 15 yards back from the stump, so we all had to start from that spot, and then, of course, obviously on the pitch... You had to start from that spot so How much, well.
0: How much practice did you do? Did, you,
2: did you, Were you practicing in, in a couple of weeks before or was it just no, on the day how, of the game? How can you practice it a couple of weeks before? you got to bowl off your long run Saturday, Monday, Tuesday and just off the short run on Sunday so you only practice it for 20 minutes on Sunday morning Just, just before the game yeah. started. and it was terrible I mean I was always out of step and trying to fit my run up in in that re- restricted space Wayne Daniel had a funny method of doing it he fitted his whole sort of 40 yard run by running on the spot <laughs> (laughs) on the 15-yard line for about 10 steps and then finally got going. It was terribly hard. At least this year, they've got the opportunity after Monday, Tuesday of this week to start focusing on one-day cricket, start focusing on the white ball skills. The ball doesn't move nearly as much. So as a bowler or a batsman, you're, you're completely adapting your game. Batsmen can hit on the up much more liberally, against the white ball bowlers are going to have to not go for the big swinger early on because the white ball doesn't swing nearly as much Uh, they're going to have to work on their slower ball skills and slower bouncers and changing their position on the creases obviously uh, the the Yorkers at the end of the innings as well if they're good at that but it gives you the opportunity to practice that I, I mean I just remember from years ago you know practicing Yorkers on a Sunday and then I couldn't get out of trying to bowl yorkers on the monday and bowling full tosses and half volleys mm. so it, it is hard to change and people will say well you know it's still cricket but it is a very very different form and it's the mindset as much as it is the the technical and physical style of it
0: so the, the new form of, of one day cricket who, who is it harder for
2: or who has to innovate more the, the batsmen or the bowlers oh, The bowlers by far i mean you look at the bowlers it, it's so difficult what can you do now you know that The other day I watched um, A.B. de Villiers batting in the IPL and um, he hadn't played for about two months and he hit one ball. Uh, He was completely deceived by a slower ball from, I think, Mohit Sharma, the Indian uh, quick bowler, bowled a beautiful slower ball out of the back of the hand and de Villiers had backed away outside leg stump, expecting it to be around the leg stump and the ball was a slower ball outside off stump and he sort of leapt across, sort of dived across the wicket and sort of threw his arms at the ball, and it sailed over long off the six. He hit something like 80 off about 40 balls, and he hit one Yorker, and, and Josh Butler did the same the other day in the IPL. Perfect Yorker, just outside off stump, and they used that thing they call the power drive with loads of wrist, where they hit through the line of the ball and then f- finish up following through back over their left shoulder, almost like a, it's almost like a, a, a hockey shot or a hurling shot, uh, with lots of wrist involved, and the ball ends up over deep extra cover for six. It's it's ridiculous, mm. and so bowlers have got to come up with something, and they're trying their best. And someone like Tim Al Mills is is doing really well at really foxing them with fast bouncers and, and and full balls, and then that brilliant back of the hand slower ball with exactly the same action. Yet bowlers definitely have to work on on their changes of pace and just their being philosophical, knowing that. Some days it's going to go horribly wrong.
0: You have to be quite flexible as a coach as well, don't you? Um, because you've got almost two sets of skills. You've got you, know, you have got the. I'm thinking domestically, you've got the championship, and then you've got the this chunk of of Royal London One Day Cup as well. I mean, how do you how do you sort of bring that
2: flexibility into into your coaching? It must be it must be hard, and and sometimes. I mean, Middlesex have uh, have decided to bring in Daniel Vittori for T20, the T20 yeah. team. Derbyshire have done the same with John Wright. Uh, so there's more and more, provided the finance is available, there's more and more of coaches even being selected for this. And one thing they are doing, the coaches, more and more, is looking at statistics and rejigging their team, rejigging their batting order, playing different people who are particularly good at certain times. I mean, we can now identify using good little uh, algorithms and and indexes that somebody is is much better against left-arm spin than he is against off-spin or somebody's better against pace than they are against spin. Look at Jason Roy, for example. Jason Roy, fantastic against quick bowling, takes on all the kind of quickies and hits them for fours all all sides of the ground. As soon as a spinner comes on, he looks much more uncertain, often gets out to spinners. His strike rate isn't nearly as good. For me, I can't believe that teams don't open the bowling with a spinner against Jason Roy. When they do, they generally get him out. Think of Samuel Badry in that uh, World Cup T20 final, for We instance. saw in India as well, didn't we? We saw him saw saw in India. India. So, uh, you know, it's about, I think, coaching. At one day cricket in particular is doing your homework very, very accurately, working out what the opposition... Uh, team is going to be, what batting order they're going to have, why they have that batting order and trying to foil them as a result. Instead of sticking to basics and we'll do our job well, being a little bit more smart about what the other team's approach is and who their players are and why they're in those positions and trying to outwit them.
0: Yeah, I mean England really taking one day cricket seriously now... uh, with these changes in the in the county game, there's a focus on the Champions Trophy this summer, and of course the, the, the World Cup which is a great opportunity to sell the game in in 2019. Um, you've been speaking to Ashley Giles, I mean he's actually from a county who sort of took one day cricket really seriously in the 90s. They were they were quite innovative in in the 90s, sort of
2: predating some of the stuff that we're talking about now. Yeah, and that it's true that in in a way there isn't such a thing as. As originality, you know there's always someone who's done it before, um, reverse sweeping was in the was in the 80s. Mike Mike Gatting famously got out playing a reverse sweep in the world Cup final and Viv Rich as we talked about that incredible shot, he played a sort of uh, a ramp shot over deep square leg, which obviously now everybody can play. Giles actually uh, has come back to Warwickshire now after being with Lancashire. Warwickshire were the Royal London champions last year. And he's inherited a team that actually play what he says is sort of quite old-school cricket, building a partnership, building an in innings and, and winning it that way. And I, I suppose I asked him, you know, with the evolution of one-day cricket, how do
1: you stay ahead of the game? Ultimately, with the coaches and with the players, you are always talking about trying to get better. So you, you're always trying to look ahead of the curve, if you like, and where um, you can play the game slightly different to your opposition or give you a head start. Now, um, before you do that, ultimately you have to play better cricket than them and and generally that comes down to the basics really well. So uh, Warwickshire probably broke the mould of most clubs last year whilst there's this focus on 300-plus and going hard up front, etc., etc., which is the New England way. Um, Warwickshire traditionally, and certainly last year, played much more the long game so a strong bowling attack who looked to take wickets early on Um, your best batters one of your best batters gets a big score and you build a big total around that with with getting runs in the last 15 overs so more a traditional view on on 50 over cricket but certainly worked for Warwickshire
2: How much time is your focus on white ball and red ball cricket how do you kind of mix the two?
1: Uh, Both I mean it is difficult once a season begins but certainly through the winter periods we try and make definite splits between what we practice when so there's a place to practice the new shots the innovations etc etc um, your death bowling, your slower balls but then there's there's place for just your basic skills your red ball skills and the, your quality you know you're delivering quality consistently, hitting a length um, and being able to bat long periods so I, I'm, I've always been keen that there's a clear definition or split between the two um, but realistically, look, I played white ball cricket in the 90s. That Warwickshire side in the 90s played white ball cricket really well. Mm. And a lot of those innovations and the way we played the game are still being spoken about as though they're new things. They're not. Um, It comes down ultimately to having the best players who execute their skills better than the opposition. Funnily enough, it's interesting you say that because I'm
2: compiling a list of sort of defining moments of the game in the last 50 years and how it's changed. And I feel that uh, what Dermot Reeve mm. actually introduced at Warwickshire in probably the early 90s, some of the shots he brought in, some of the strategies are mm. things that are being done now. And, they, you know, that was 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Bob and Bob Warmer and Dermot Reeve certainly were ahead of their time, real innovators in cricket uh, on that front. And um, when you talk also about England now having this freedom to play or go out and express themselves when they play. That was what we talked about back then, and that's what Dermot tried to instil in us, that was as long as you practice the right things the right way, go out and try them, go out and execute them. If you don't practice them, then we'll come down you like a ton of bricks because that's just unprofessional. But... Yeah, we want you to feel free to go and express yourself because that's, wins, that's what wins games of cricket and that was the attitude certainly around Bas in the 90s.
2: Obviously spin has, a, a, has, has almost had a resurgence because of white ball cricket. Mm. Do you see that continuing? And how can we get more spinners into the four-day game?
1: Well, it, I think we have to look at them a very different things. So yes, there has been a resurgence of spin um, through white ball cricket. Not all of it has been brilliant. You know, I think there's elements of spinning white ball cricket where you can get away with not having great control because that natural variation, if you don't know where it's going, the batsman certainly (laughs) doesn't. Um, And I think still, you know, the the, the problem with red ball cricket, although we're starting to see some spinners come through now, is still a lag effect from the beginning or the turn of the the century where we're playing on some pretty poor wickets, games finishing two days, two and a half days on green wickets, um, and we, we've been paying for that. Now, hopefully we're coming through that. ECB are doing a lot of good stuff around trying to get spinners into the game. The toss rule helps. Wickets were certainly better last year, so I hope that continues. Um, at the same time, I don't agree with us You know, at times. I wouldn't want spinners to bowl on minefields. They need to work for their pitches because if we have hopes of these guys going to play test cricket, it can be pretty hard work there. Barring India, You know where wickets can turn a lot, maybe uh, well, we don't go to Pakistan, Bangladesh, but, um, you know, uh, guys need to have control. They need to be self-starting, confident, um, and ultimately, you know, white ball cricket doesn't necessarily breed that. So it sounds as if you're saying that uh, you almost need to be controlled and, and
2: very accurate in test or four-day cricket, and the, almost the reverse in... I I think I read Ravi Ashwin saying the art of slow bowling in one-day cricket is bowling six completely different balls, some of which are
1: actually bad balls. Yeah, absolutely, and I think um, that can be difficult for someone like Ashwin, Um, but I do think we've seen some less consistent spinners, let's put it that way, have success in the likes of T20 cricket. If you're best spinners who consistently land in a spot, they're easy to line up in white ball cricket, unless, as Ashwin says, they, they use a number of different variations and they don't have to be doosers or top spinners, but just you know, differences in flight and speed um, and length uh, are certainly important in white ball cricket. Any of those King of Spain mugs still on sale in that Warwickshire shop? No, not in the shop. I've actually got some in my garage, so um, anyone uh, you know, interested, I'm sure we can come to a deal.
0: Well, that was Ashley Giles, Forever the King of Spain, in my book. Um, interesting point there from Ashley about spinners that the predictable spinners get whacked, and the unpredictable spinners, the ones that bowl the old bad ball or more ball balls. bad balls, yeah, they, they're more effective in one day cricket. I haven't really thought about that before the idea of, of someone like Ashwin, you know, just
2: if he's able to put on the spot every ball, that b- batsman find that quite tasty. Well that's why mystery spinners are are so valuable in one day cricket because batsmen can't premeditate as much if they're not sure where the ball's going to be or what it's, which way it's going to spin and that's why you know leg spinners in particular the Adil Rashids uh, are invaluable in one day cricket because they, you know they bowl the wrong one, which is hard for a lot of batsmen to pick up, especially a lower order batsman and I, I know Rashid's worked quite hard on his deception and even a bad googly can be quite hard to deal with if it's not picked. Mm. So I can see what, uh, what Ashley's point is, that when a batsman's setting himself, right, he's spotted a gap at deep extra cover, I'm going to hit this guy over there. If you've got a bowler who's bowling you know darts, regular sort of speed, roundabout, middle and off, or off stump, um, spinners, fairly sort of similar speed... You can set yourself to hit the ball there, but if it's one's long up outside off, one's a Yorker, one's slow, one's much quicker, you know, it's harder to set yourself to know where you're going to hit that ball. You know, it's interesting watching Ollie Rayner bowling here today for Middlesex, who is probably as accurate a spinner as there is in, in championship cricket. And a very tidy championship season last year, didn't he? As yeah, well, and to it, even you know, today he's bowled a string and made and overs, Nobody can get him away. But actually in one day cricket his figures aren't that good because he's probably too predictable, too easy to, to line up. And uh, some of the sort of less accurate spinners are more effective because the batsman doesn't know what he's going to get. Mm. One other point that
0: Ashley raised there and it's an interesting one, it's created a lot of debate is about the extent to which we should have a spinning pitch in the country or several spinning pitches or whether you should just have normal pitches and tell the, the spinners to, to get on with it and try to win matches because that's what you're going to expect in, uh, at test match level. I mean, the obvious county last year was Somerset. and Northamptonshire have done it in the past. Uh, what do you think about that? Surely it's good if there are... Two or three venues where the, where you know you're going to be tested in the same way that you know as a batsman and as a bowler as well. That in the old days at Headingley, you know you had to go up there and you had to, as a batsman, you probably had to play in a slightly different way, didn't you? If, if the ball was off slightly offline, you had to thrash it, and you, get, you actually led to some exciting cricket. But also as well, if you're a decent seamer, you felt you were in in the game there. And the same if you're a, if you're a batsman, you know, right, we're playing at Taunton this week, but well, that's going to be a real test. This ball's going to spin like a top, and it may be that I'll play a test match say, in India or Sri Lanka, where the ball is going to spin like a top, and I've got that in the memory bank and in the, the skill bank of having played at, at, at somewhere like Taunton.
2: You, you need a variety, undoubtedly, and I, I applaud Somerset, actually, for, for doing that. In a way, there is more pressure on a spinner, on a spinning pitch. They have to deal with that expectation. So although, actually, Charles was sort of saying that you don't want the pitch to be too much in their favour because it makes it too easy for them to take wickets. On the other hand, once batsmen have acclimatised to that different surface, it probably takes you know a couple of years to learn your game on a spinning pitch. But once you've got a, a generation of batsmen who are better at playing in, in spinning conditions, then there's more pressure on the spin bowler mm. to exploit those conditions. So they've got to be mentally tough, as well as having the control and the expertise to exploit it. So, you know, that I think that's a, a, a great asset to a country that you've got v- varieties of conditions where both batsmen and bowlers are put under different sorts of pressure and hopefully will, pr- will, will flourish as a result in those different conditions and that will make them much more transportable around the world. Um, cricket is at its best, it seems to me, a, a
0: most exciting, most interesting for five-day level when the ball is really turning, when mm. you've got a fast bowler bowling, Genuinely quick bowling, mm. and when you've got a
2: bouncy pitch, mm. so, well, they're, so they're, they're so all wicket taking conditions, aren't they? Test cricket is at its best when there's something in it for the bowler, so the batsman's got to work his socks off, and also there's pressure on the bowler to to exploit those conditions, and there's a possibility of wickets falling all the time. A batsman's never quite in, and then you find you know the batsman is is trying to work out how he's going to get enough runs. For his team, before he gets an unplayable delivery, the bowler is trying to figure out what the batsman's next aggressive motif might be, and and how to nullify that, and how to keep the check on him, keep the pressure on. Him. You can feel the pressure building in those situations, can't you? Where it's nipping around, the sleeps are, are expectant, the bowlers hoping for wickets, the batsman's going to try and take the initiative. I remember, you know, that classic spell of play here at Lords a couple of years ago, New Zealand. Uh, had won the toss, stuck England in, taken three quick wickets, Root comes in, uh, you know, England are in trouble, sort of 20 for three, and second ball, hits a fantastic four backwards a square through the through the offside. And th- then they lost another wicket, and Stokes comes out. But those two, Root and Stokes, just took the game too. some really good New Zealand seamers. They had Tim South, they had Trent Bolt, they had Matt Henry all bowling and seaming it around and it was the most compelling period of play because they could have got out at any time but they took a, the, the initiative and suddenly England were 150 for three and it was the most brilliant spell of cricket.
0: Well, I can remember a great spell of cricket during the World Cup and it involved uh, Wahab Riaz bowling at the Adelaide Oval. He features, Wahab Riaz features in my, my highlight of the week which we're going to... Finish on, you want to do your low light in a minute. It's perhaps appropriate that we are at the, the home of cricket, actually, <laughs> yeah. when we talk about your low light. Of the totally. week. My, my highlight of the week, though, was a, a, I don't know if you've seen it, an absolutely stunning catch by Wahab Riaz on the boundary in that West Indies Pakistan Test match off the bowling of Yassir Shah to get rid of Roston Chase. He just couldn't resist it. They'd, been, they'd resisted for a while, and then in the end, he, he had to take on Yassir Shah. Huge bunt down the ground, swirling, and Riaz, as went back, took it over his shoulder and just managed to hold on to it one hand. It was one of the one of the great catches, I think. It,
2: well, it was, and it reminded me of... Um, one of I, your catches? No, sadly <laughs> not, but um, I, it did remind me of a competition I ran a couple of years ago on YouTube to find the greatest catch of all time. And I tried to give catches a mark out of ten for difficulty... Yeah stage of the game yeah. and standard of the match as well so if it was a test match it got a few more points mm-hmm. than if it was a one-day game and the winner in my book was steve war who took a very similar catch to the wahabria's one the other day it was running back to the boundary in a one-day international in melbourne with this skier and i think it was the west indies as well and he runs all the way back and he nearly collides with the sight screen because it's on the field of play yeah. at the EMCG. Yeah, yeah. And he has to sort of almost avoid the wheels of the sight screen as well as looking yeah. at this Skyer, and takes it just literally on the boundary edge. Phenomenal catch. He seemed to run about sort of forty metres, I think, to take it. And that was my greatest catch of all time. This one from Walbrias is is up there a degree of difficulty yeah. very high. What a shame there weren't more people there to, to see it. Well that it was a big shame. I mean what was most interesting about
0: it is the I think it was Ramiz who was commentating. It was, and he was. He just assumed he dropped it yeah. because it, yes. was, it
2: was that hard and then he, he to come up with it. And it was brilliant that he, he, he just finished like, like sort of a foot inside yeah. the boundary rope, probably his head almost touching the boundary rope as well. So it was just... You could hardly have made a better catch than yeah. that. It was uh, astonishing. Yeah, well, I'm afraid... I'm sorry to finish it on a down... A down point, I think but, it's a worthwhile down point, though. Yeah, it was my low light is, is very much the rubbish talked on the field very loudly by schoolboy cricketers. I was at a schoolboy match on Saturday. Uh, in fact, I say schoolboy, my daughter was also playing in it. And uh, it was just relentless, the rabbit, the rattle going on. From... It's not just schoolboy cricket, though, isn't it? it happens in, It happens in club cricket, it happens in... In first class cricket as well. It doesn't it? happen as much in first class cricket, I don't think. But it certainly happens in club cricket, you're right. But school cricket, you know, they should be they shouldn't be doing that yet, should they? Maybe club players who've got a bit more adrenaline and a bit more testosterone, you know, understand it. But school cricket, you know, they're just playing again, they're supposed to be having fun, really. And to to be shouting out the stuff they shout out, it's not abuse, but it's just sort of banal kind of pointless lines. Things like a dot ball is a hot ball, big swing, <laughs> no ding, from the wicket-keeper to a batsman having a go, a go at it, and uh, more blocks than Lego out here at the moment, you know, stuff like that, and come on, lads, and just this relentless kind of... He doesn't seem to understand, it's not a test match, um, you know, just... But it's, it's so noisy, so loud, and it's just a bit insulting and disrespectful. There was one witty line, which I heard, which was more edges than a dodecagon, Which has how many edges? Apparently (laughs) twelve. Right, I think it's the new pound coin or something, but dodecadon. But 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 it's at least that had a bit of sort of mathematical wit about it. Mm. But in the main, I suppose you know we probably in the nineteen eighties, early nineties, we took take a bit of the blame for this because. I remember Middlesex, we were really noisy on the field. You we know, were rattling away, trying to encourage the bowler and you know, sort of saying things about the batsman. He'll get, he'll get a nick in a minute and all that. Come on, concentrate, yours, I kept getting. And I just wanted to, the fielders to shut up. Mm. So like I am concentrating, now just mm. keep quiet and lead me to it. So is it fair to say, well, we were
0: talking about on-field chat, if it's interesting, if it's humorous, fine, anything else... Just shut up. Yeah,
2: and then there should be docked runs or points or something. We need to find a way of... Well, how how do you police it? I I mean, it's impossible, isn't it? It's time for us to shut up now, isn't it? It it certainly is, yeah. Thanks for listening, anyway. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye.